Well, turn to Psalm 25. We're going to continue our reboot series today. Psalm 25, we're going to look at the first five verses and see some lessons from the writings of David that will help us reboot our lives in this new year of 2023. I always remember whenever a new year would roll around, how many mistakes I would make on writing a check before I remembered it was a new year. But now, it seems, with debit cards, you don't write near as many checks. I don't make near as many mistakes anymore. So, But it is a new year. David writes here, the first five verses, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh, my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. So today it's back to basics. Back to basics. Now, before we dissect that psalm by David, who was the second king of ancient Israel, I want to introduce you to a man you'll see up here on the screen whose name was Zerzanay Tadis. Zerzanay is arguably the most famous name in the East African country of Eritrea. And I don't know if I pronounced that right or not. E-R-I-T-R-E-A. I don't know if it's Eritrea, I just call it Eritrea, okay? So, but uh, no one from Eritrea had ever run in the Olympics before 2004 from Eritrea when Zerzane did it. He has a personal best in the marathon of 2 hours, 10 minutes, and 41 seconds. Now, I don't know if you know anything about running, but that's pretty fast for a marathon. Right, Dave? You've ran some before, okay. But he's actually known for two of the fastest ever times in the half marathon, as you can kind of see up there on the screen. He's the king of the half marathon. A documentary was done called Breaking Two. Breaking Two. There were a group of scientists that got together and wanted to see if it was possible to actually run the marathon, which is 26.2 miles. 26.2 miles to see if it could be done in less than two hours. Breaking two was the name of it, because that's never been done. And he was one of three men chosen to be a part of that experiment. And it it seemed kind of crazy to pick him, because shaving off 10 minutes of your time when it comes to running a marathon is a monumental task. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's almost like it can't be done. But when you look at Zerzanay's capacity, you can understand why he was chosen. You see, when he runs, his body barely makes any lactate or waste, and he barely breathes hard. He's an incredible runner. And so the researchers were asking, if this is the case, why hasn't Zerzanay been able to translate that into faster marathon times. In fact, Zerzane up until that point had not finished three of the five marathons that he had run. 
But after carefully examining his physiology, his training methods, and his past history, there emerged a clear hypothesis as to why he had not been able to, to maximize his potential or his capacity. It was very simple, it was very fundamental, and it was very basic. It was a matter of hydration. When you run marathons, do you run by and pick up the cup of water? Yeah. yeah. What they found out is that Zerzanay, while running in the marathon, had not taken one drop of water. Not one. And so the follow-up question then for them was, how could someone push their body for that long and that hard without water? And I would imagine his body was asking the same question. All right. So having determined he needed to hydrate while running, the result of the experiment was that he cut his time down to 2.06.51. Still didn't break two, but he got it down to 2.06.51. Now, what does that teach us? That the basics... The fundamentals are very, very important, not just in athletics and sports, but also in life and in our spiritual life. You show me a breakdown in fundamentals or the basics, and I'll show you compromised performance. Again, whether in sports or whether in life, that happens. And so the biggest barrier to this point that Zerzanay had come up against to run his absolute fastest was just something basic. And so I wonder as we examine and brainstorm our game plans for 2023, I just want to know, did your examination include an examination of the basics? Specifically, I'm talking about our spiritual basics, our spiritual disciplines, like prayer, Bible study, church attendance, service, things like that. I asked you last week, what daily disciplines do you need to put in place to get where you need to go in 2023? So as we look here at Psalm 25, the author is King David, the most famous name in his land and beyond. David was known as an exceptional musician. He was an exceptional and feared warrior. Uh, the stories of his rise from a runt shepherd boy to become the king of Israel would rival any underdog tale. But he was also somewhat explosive at times. His indiscretions and sin that we've talked about in the past, I think, would rival any nighttime drama on TV. And the tales of his conquests and his victories probably had little kids in Israel pretending to be him. But these are not really the things that fascinate me about David, because despite his success, despite his wealth, despite his influence and his notoriety and all of his skills, under all of these things, David had an unyielding commitment to spiritual disciplines. And the reason that David maintains this commitment it's because he knew that no matter what he did, no matter what he accomplished, no matter how great his name was, he would rise and fall based upon his discipline of seeking God. And don't all of our lives rise and fall based on that? 
That was his baseline, his starting point, the thing that he kept coming back to over and over again. And so if you study the life of David and you study the Psalms that he's written, you'll see and hear this relentless pursuit of God, this passion for God, no matter what the circumstances were. So over the next few moments, I want to examine this basic blueprint that I believe David lays out for us. And I want to do this not because I want to give you some kind of practical methodology for success. That's not the reason why. I don't want to try to help you accomplish your goals and your resolutions this year, although I hope you do that. But my hope is to help you establish and reinforce the right baseline to your spiritual growth to which everything is connected to. And we're going to do it from Psalm 25. Just a quick backdrop historically. We don't really know the specifics behind Psalm 25. We don't know the backstory. We don't know exactly what's happening in David's life here. Unlike Psalm 51 that we looked at last week, where we know that David had had an affair with Bathsheba. He had had Uriah the Hittite killed. We knew that specifically, and Psalm 51 was his psalm of repentance because of what he had done. But here we don't know what actually is taking place. I think as you read this psalm, I think David is concerned about opposition He's talking about enemies. He doesn't want to be put to shame. He's talking about protection and refuge. And I, I clearly, I think there's some kind of external opposition he's trying to overcome. Now, in Psalm 51, the opposition was himself. <laughs> and sometimes in our lives, that's what happens. We're our own opposition. Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. The decisions that we make sometimes put us in bad situations like it had David in Psalm 51. Other times, like this psalm, it's external. Outside forces coming in on us. Some situations that are opposing us. But whatever it is, we look to some kind of strategy to employ to get us over or around or through those things. And I think David displays for us very simply what the strategy is to be in just two verses here, verse 4 and verse 5 of the text that we read. He asks for three things that I want to highlight for you today. And these are just basics. David says, God, show me your ways, teach me your paths, Lead me in your truth. Those three things. Now those requests tell me that David is not a man of self-sufficiency. And please understand the man that's making this request. This is one of the greatest men of his time. He had means. He had people at his disposal. No, he didn't have Google on a phone app that he could check. But he had plenty of people he could ask. He had the means to get things done on his behalf if he had questions that needed answered, he could get them answered. But even though he had all of those means and he had all of these resources at his disposal, since he's the king, he says, God, show me your ways. Your ways. Tells me he had a total dependence on God. Now when he says, show me your ways, the word ways is a Hebrew word that's mentioned over 700 times in the Old Testament alone. 
I think that indicates it's pretty important. Over 700 times, this particular Hebrew word, ways, is used. And it literally means in Hebrew, a road. <laughs> a road. So literally, David asked God, God, show me the road. Show me your road. And he mentions it four times in this psalm alone. So clearly David is asking for direction here. Now, I have to pause here because it's really interesting when I think about who David was, where he is in this life, him asking God to show him the road. It's fascinating to me because I, I'm not on David's level. And I know that oftentimes this is not how I pray. What about you? In fact... I've got a sneaking suspicion a lot of us don't pray this way because what we're in the habit of doing is giving God directions, not asking Him for His directions, right? We, we pray, God, th this is the woman for me, or this is the man, or this is the job, this is the house, this is the time right now, God, will you bless it? And we give direction to God rather than seeking his direction. And yet here's David, this powerful man, and he's saying, God, show me your ways, your road. And when I examine that, I, I think the reason why we pray the way that we pray is because we think we're smarter than what we really are. <laughs> there were two uh, cognitive science researchers named Stephen Sloman and Philip Fernbach he wrote a book called The Knowledge Illusion. And in that book, they say our concept of what we know is inflated. They argue that most of us don't even know how everyday things work, like a toilet. <laughs> but we think we know. And we think, we think and act like we know more than what we really know. And we want our way because we think we know what's best for us. And if the truth be told... There's times I'm not really interested in asking God for direction. I just want him to bless the way that I've already picked. Can you identify with that? In Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, God says to Isaiah the prophet, My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And it's the same Hebrew word that's in Psalm 25 where David says, God, show me your way. Show me the road. And God says through Isaiah, I know the road. I know you think you know the road, but I really do know the road, God says. And David is modeling for us a basic discipline here. And it's this. How about asking God for directions before you take off? That's just a basic discipline. And if you want to reboot your life spiritually, you need to make sure you're following God's ways, not your own. And so the question becomes, what road have you started down that you didn't ask for directions? You, you just picked away and said, God, come with me. <laughs> like he's our errand boy or whatever. So what road is it? Is it a relationship, a job, a school, a business? If you're not following God's direction, it's not going to work out well for you. And the good thing is that God knows our tendencies. 
And as we mentioned last Sunday, that's why his mercies are new every morning. So let this be the time that we reboot ourselves and begin the habit of saying, God, show me the way. Show me your way. That's the number one thing that David does here. But then number two, he says, teach me your paths. Your paths. Now this Hebrew word for path is very similar to the Hebrew word for way, but this one is related to our way of living. So if you put the two together, David's really saying, God, show me your path and teach me your way to live. You teach me how to live, God. And to be honest, there's many of us, we just don't really like to be told how to live, right? Because we want to do it ourselves. And the reason this is critical for us to understand is because we live in a me-first world. You know, it, it's all about me. I'm going to do my thing. This is a my-thing culture. I love me. I think I'm grand. Sometimes I like to sit and hold my hand. Me first. But the more we're exposed to that kind of thinking the more that we believe that it really is all about us. And if we're not constantly seeking God for the way that we live, here's what happens. We start adopting things from the culture that is socially acceptable, but not what God wants for us. And this is what we do. We'll end up cursing those that curse us and because we think they deserve it, or we only bless those who bless us because those are the people we like and we shame the people that we, we don't like or that don't agree with us or whatever. And then if we're Christians, we do it all in Jesus' name. <laughs> and the reason for this is because these decisions and this path is in the best interest of our comfort, where we're comfortable. But the same Hebrew word for path is the same Hebrew word in Proverbs 3, verse 6. You know what, what that proverb says, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord in all your heart, with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your, there's the word, same word, he'll make your path straight, meaning he will direct your way of living. But yet we still get stuff lined up the way that we want it, and then we say, okay, God, this is the plan, now you bless it. And give him direction? Where have you planted yourself that you didn't get clarity on first? Because you were more concerned with, about your comfort than where God was calling you to? And what path do you have in mind right now that you came into this year saying, this is the path that's on my mind, but it's a path that you're not praying about, and you're not holding with an open hand to say, God, if this isn't it, remove it. You see, this is what David's modeling for us when he's saying, God, show me your ways and teach me your path. You teach me the way to live. Because both of these things are associated with the will of God. And that's the safest place for us to be. Now, the third thing David says is lead me in your truth. Lead me in your truth. The word for truth here in the Hebrew, literally means stability. 
So the suggestion by David here is that he knows God is the source of truth, and that is his stability. And then he adds this little phrase at the end where he says, and teach me. Show me your truth and teach me. And the Hebrew word for teach literally means to discipline. How many of you are praying that prayer? Lord, please discipline me. That's not what we're praying because that's not the form of blessing that we really like. But I love a couple of scriptures related to this. One says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. That's in Hebrews 12, verse 6. If you're not being disciplined of the Lord, I'd be concerned. And then Proverbs 12, verse 1 says, whoever hates correction is stupid. Yeah, that's the word that's used in my Bible, in the New American Standard. Proverbs 12, verse 1, whoever hates correction is stupid. So the key insight into why David was not only successful, but considered to be a man after God's own heart, was because he had this willingness to let God teach him, to let God discipline him. He sought it and he appreciated it because he had a capacity for humility. And you might say, well, what does humility have to do with truth? Well, notice what David says when you read on down in verse 9 of Psalm 25. David says, he guides the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. You know how hard it is to teach a proud man? Much easier to teach a person willing to be taught, a humble person. And I can't speak for you, but I can speak for me that a lack of humility in my life has created more instability than I can recall. It's been a lesson that you have to learn over time. And one of the most common reasons is because sometimes I just don't ask the right questions or I don't inquire, I don't, I don't pray about something because I think I know the right thing to do. I think I know the right path to take. That's called arrogance and pride, self-righteousness. Sooner or later that stuff will just slap you in the face and kick you in the seat of the pants and put you in positions that you don't want to be in. So the stability we're seeking in our lives has to do with humility. And when we humble ourselves, God will reveal it to us. And so the basic point here is we can have more stability in our lives, number one, when we realize we don't know everything. We really don't. That's called humility. And number two, we'll have more stability in our lives when we ask more questions and seek understanding. Many of us think we're living the truth, when in reality we're living a life of preference and of what's comfortable. And it might not be true, but it feels right, and we feel comfortable with it, but it's not stable. And here's the thing, even if we do know a little bit of the truth, there is still more to be learned. And Jesus said in John 16, 13, the Holy Spirit would lead you and guide you into all truth. Now it takes humility to be led, it takes humility to be taught. So if you're going to get that truth, you need to have humility in order to experience it. And David says, Lord, teach me, teach me. Lead me in your truth, 
and teach me. Now let me bring this together and try to wind it up. I played four years of college basketball at St. Louis. And every year we would literally go back to the basics. We would reboot every single year. And this is what the reboot would look like. We would uh, do all the running and getting in shape and running the killers, you know, running to the free throw line and back, the half line and back, the other free throw line and back, the in line and back, and do that time after time as we'd build up endurance and stuff. We would do dr the drills, we would run, we would shoot free throws, we'd work on dribbling and passing, on blocking out and rebounding on defense, all the non-glamorous stuff, you know, that, that, that you just have to work on. Same stuff I was doing when I played basketball in grade school. Just a way to reinforce and keep the fundamentals sharp. It was just the commitment to the basics. Same way with those that are in the military. I've heard about how they go through basic training. It's a common baseline for skills that all soldiers were expected to have. But basic training was also meant to de-emphasize the importance of the individual and emphasize the importance of the team. So in other words, you've got some basic stuff you've got to get right that you have to work on, and it's not all about you. That's the whole purpose of it. What's neat is that God has called us into collaboration with him. And as he trains us for service, there has to be a de-emphasizing of us and a re-emphasizing of him. That's basic. And part of the reason why God sent Jesus was because we needed a reboot. We needed an example of literally the way and the path and the truth that David's talking about. And Jesus literally says it. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. In John 14, 6. He goes on further in the next chapter of John 15, verse 5. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. He repeats that word remain or abide 11 times in the short span of 11 sentences in John 15. It's the same thing that's repeated throughout the New Testament by Jesus and also in the epistles. And here's the thing. The spiritual disciplines are not about performance, but about perseverance. It's the long game. It's the commitment to the basics. God never promises to reward us based on how, eloquent we, how eloquently we pray. He never promises to reward us based on the size of our offering or the, the amount of the biblical text that we can quote. That's not how he rewards us. I love what he says. He says, just seek me. Make me the priority. I'll take care of all that stuff, right? Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. And then one of my favorite promises, Hebrews eleven six: Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that would come to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Yeah. That's just basic. Diligently seek me, God says. We're going to make mistakes along the way? Absolutely. But that's not what he's rewarding. He's rewarding our diligence in seeking him. And David knew there was no shame in trusting God. He had experienced that before. 
especially when he downed Goliath. And I think the reason we draw up our own game plan is sometimes because we just don't trust in the character of God. We think we know what's best. But David said the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. And so we don't need an elaborate game plan for, for our lives this year or any year. What we need is a commitment to the basics. God, show me your way. Lead me in your path. Teach me your truth. The basics. That's the only way to maximize our potential. And maybe that's what you need to do today. It's just get back to the basics. So as we come to a time of decision this morning, you have to determine what's God calling me to do? Have I just been planning my own way and then expecting him to bless it? Or am I seeking his way and his path and his truth? Do I truly believe that God knows best or do I think I know best? This is basic stuff, folks. And this is what it takes to do a spiritual reboot in our lives. It's to set ourselves aside and make sure Jesus is Lord of all. What's that little bumper sticker that says something about if God is your co-pilot? Switch seats. Yeah. In fact, I'd say get out of the front seat altogether. Take a back seat and let God be the one in control. Absolutely. We're going to stand and sing a hymn of decision. You need to know if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, what decisions that you need to make. But get back to the basics. God, show me your way. Lead me in your path. Show me your truth and teach me. Let's stand.